God loves you as much as he loves Christ. Don't leave here today without recognizing and remembering this. God loves you as much with the same love that he loves Jesus Christ. God not only takes us as his children by adoption, but he treats us as though we are his children without adoption. The adoption. Romans 8, 12 through 25. And it says this, if you follow along, I also have the verses up here. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the firstfruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. Excuse me. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. God add a blessing to the reading aloud of his word. Point number one, led by the Spirit. So the question that many people ask, and rightly so, is what exactly does that mean? And it's important, because if we say something to the effect of, well, to me, it means we have an issue. So what exactly does that mean? Well, being led by the Spirit is evidence of your adoption. It's evidence of your adoption, So when God accepts us as his children, he accepts us as his children, not as the outcasts. He accepts us and treats us exactly like he does his son. That's how we are in his family now. So being led by the Spirit is evidence of your adoption. Look what the verse says. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Look at the words in red. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So, so, what does it mean then to be led by the Spirit? It's a question we all ought to be asking this morning, no matter what our understanding is. Because the honest truth is, there is an awful lot of confusion with regard to what the Spirit leads you and I to do. 
So let's just ask a couple questions this morning. Does the Spirit lead your decisions at the drive-thru at Burger King? Interesting question. Some people would say yes. Does the Spirit lead your actions at tops? Ah, I caught you. Perhaps. Actions. Perhaps. Really, uh, it more depends. All right? Just everyone take a look at the description of the verse, because this is going to be very, very important. It says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So the Spirit leads you and I to live towards putting to death the deeds of the body. So being led by the Spirit is no less it's no less than avoiding living according to sinful passions. Now, it might be more than that, and I will not say that it's not, but it's no less than putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And that's not all. And I don't mean to say that it's all. I want to make this very clear, because some people say, well, the Spirit also does this. You are right, it does. From this passage, it is no less than putting to death the deeds of the body. So, just a warning to all of us, Christians need to be more careful about tossing around this phrase because we say things like all the time like, well, the Spirit led me to do this and the Spirit led me to do that. The Spirit led me to say this this morning. I've actually heard people who, uh, you know, their marriage ended and they said, the Spirit led me to this person. And then, you know, a few years later, they're like, well, maybe it wasn't the Spirit that was guiding me. So we need to give the world something sound to look at with regard to the Spirit of God. So either the Spirit told us to or the Spirit didn't. So I want to show everyone a couple examples of some guys here that just followed what God told them to do. Stanley Mossberg, this man was led by God to kill three strangers in the street. That's what he told cops. God told me to do it. So if the standard for our saying that the Spirit of God led us to do something is our saying that God led us to do something, would everyone agree and give me an amen that that's a problem? Amen? It's a serious problem. This guy here, Daniel Scott Bailey, he was led by God to steal a, neighbor, a neighbor's car, their family car. He was pulled over because he had to use the restroom, so he was out behind. Uh, well, he was stopped when he was going to the bathroom, excuse me. And um, the cops said, what are you doing? And then they called in the plate and saw that it was stolen. They said, why would you steal this car from this family? And you know what he said? Because God led me to. God told me to. Well, that's a problem. Can I get an amen? It's a big problem. This guy here, James McGrath, God told him to rob banks. Man testifies. James McGrath admits to the role in the crimes which include the theft of $430,000 from an L.A. office. His attorney seeks the verdict of not guilty by reason of insanity. He said God told him to rob a bank. Wrong. So we have some serious issues here, not to mention we have people from different faiths that their God told them to fly planes into buildings. Their God told them to strap bombs on their chests. So what's the standard? We need a standard. Can I get an amen? It means to be more than just, well, God told me to. Well, that's not very good. 
There's a man just recently that lived down in Athens, and God told him to do all kinds of crazy stuff. And once the cops came to bust that stuff up, God told him to beat the cops up, and he did. Four of them. We need to be very careful as Christians to say what the Bible says and nothing more. So God is very clear on this issue. Very clear. There's not a lot of fogginess with this. So when we say, the Spirit led me to do this, we can be very certain of certain things. So does this mean that the Spirit does not lead us to have conversations or do certain things? Obviously, the answer to that is no. Definitely at times in our lives, having the Spirit of God in us, the Spirit of God urges us to do and say certain things. Remember, one of the Spirit's jobs, according to Christ, is to remind us of the things that he taught us. There are going to be times in your and my life, for many of us there probably already has been different conversations, where someone said something and, up, oh, a verse comes to your, to your mind. And, you know, you don't say, well, if you open up the First Corinthians, but the principle's there. You say, well, I believe that all humanity is valuable. Or, uh, you know, I believe that stealing is fundamentally wrong. That's not something you just came up with. Can I get an amen? No, that's something that you know from the scriptures because God has determined what truth is and told us. He's revealed it to us. So it means we have to be biblical in our conversations. So, now the question, does the Spirit lead us to buy one brand over the other? Well, this is tough. All right, so should I buy Kraft macaroni and cheese or should I buy Topps macaroni and cheese? Should I buy this car or should I buy this car? Will the Spirit lead me to buy one over the other? Well, does the Spirit lead us to buy one SUV over another? I see this one has excellent ratings for crashes. And I see this one, uh, you know, doesn't have as good of ratings, but I like it better. Is the Spirit involved in that conversation? Well, what's the guiding principle? What's the guiding principle to making these decisions and us being able to say as Christians, God led me to do or say this? So we need to be able to use our reasoning in a way that's, what's that word, everyone? Biblical, right? In a way that's biblical. So these guys that I pointed out to you, three men, did any of these guys follow the Spirit to do what they did? All God's people said, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Can you imagine sitting in a subway next to a gentleman? You're a Christian. He claims to be a Christian. And he says, God told me I'm supposed to take this entire subway hostage in a half an hour. What would you say to him? Chapter and verse, buddy. Chapter and verse. Let's see it. <laughs> Show me where God said this. I really want to make sure we're on the same page here. And soon after that, you're... Police. This guy next to me says God's telling him to do things that are unbiblical. None of these guys did what the Spirit led them to do. We know that because the Spirit would not lead us to sin. If the Spirit led you to choose one cut of steak over another, and this is literally the way that some people think, what's the standard? Now, just a note on this on ethics because this is important for us today, because today we have to make a lot of decisions. By the time you get done with this service here, you're going to have to make some decisions. Amen? You will have to decide what you're going to eat for lunch. Will the Spirit play a role in that? Well, let's not just toss the baby out with the bathwater here. Let's just say, for instance, that you want to go to a restaurant, and you want to sit down, and you don't mind wearing your mask, and that's a fine thing. 
And as you sit down, you hear that uh, somehow the restaurant is involved in dirty dealings and sinfully they acquired the food that they are going to prepare for you. Do you stay and eat? No. Is the spirit involved in that decision? Absolutely. Because the spirit is involved in our decisions to put to death the deeds of the body. Amen? So ethically, if your conscience is seared by that, that's the spirit doing what he does, and he's pricking you in that way to remind you, hey, this is what the Bible says you're supposed to do. This is what I want you to do. So ethically, yes, perhaps at times there are certain things where we do need to make an ethical decision according to your conscience, not according to the conscience of your neighbor, as to what you will or will not purchase from a menu, what restaurants you'll be at, what, what stores you'll shop at. Yes, the Spirit can play a role in this. I don't want to say that he won't. Um, but is the Spirit going to say, well, you really ought to eat the filet mignon over the chicken alfredo? I, I, I don't think so. Uh, show me in the, in the Bible where that's the case. I don't think that that's coming to us. Uh, so just take a look one more time. What is the standard? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the standard is, it's whether or not this thing that you are being led to do is leading you to live according to the Spirit. So that's clear in the Scriptures. So, the Spirit is not going to lead you to rob a bank. Can I get an amen? It's just not happening. The Spirit is not going to lead you to back a person who is going to do something wicked and awful and against the Scriptures. So a buddy of yours says, hey, I'm going to steal a car on the way home. Will you give me a lift? The Spirit will not lead you to give him a lift. That's just not the way that it works. Hey, I'm going to do this, and it's something just uh, sinful and it's against the Scriptures. Will you help me? Absolutely not, I will not help you. The Spirit will not lead us to do those things. So... Is there a verse that forbids what you're doing? The problem with most of our Christianity today, particularly in the States, is we are so stinking comfortable. How do I know? Because if you don't like the Bible you're reading, just look online. You'll find one you like. All right, so in other countries, they don't have that option. They have one translation for their language. You either get it or you don't. We are so comfortable that people literally leave churches because they don't like the feeling of the pews. Or they don't like how the building heats. Or they don't like the music. Or they don't like that the pastor doesn't wear a tie. Or they don't like that the pastor does wear a tie. They have all these huge lists of things. We are so, so pampered. So our decisions honestly need to be based on whether or not the Bible forbids what we are doing. And this is an issue even today. Because a lot of the times we stand against things that the Bible doesn't. We stand against things just for the sake of a principle that we just came up with throughout our upbringing or our childhood. And for the Christian, for the Christian, it requires constant reevaluation of where we are in life. So one of our goals as Christians should always be to be consistent. And as a man, as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, as an employee, I'm just honest with everyone, that's one of the things that is very, very difficult in life is to remain consistent. Can I get an amen? Amen. We want to be consistent in our ethics. When we make a choice, I want that to be consistent across the board. And there are times in our Christian life where we make a decision here and we stand for truth and then over here we waver a little bit. 
And then when we go back and reevaluate, we think, boy, why did I say that? Or, or why did I do that when I made a strong stance here? It's because at times we lean in really hard and are led by the Spirit to do what the Bible tells us to. And there are other times where we're definitely led by the flesh and someone just ticked me off. And now I'm going to be against whatever they say, whenever they say it, no matter what. I don't care anymore. No matter what they say, the Bible says. So that's a really, really difficult place to be. And as a Christian, we really need to seek consistency in our lives. And this means that you and I and everyone else in here do not know everything. Can I get an amen? If you and I were omniscient, we would hate life. Because you would know what the person next to you is thinking, and you probably wouldn't like it. If we were omniscient, we would know exactly what our leaders are thinking, and we probably would not like that either. We want to be consistent. So we don't pick how people act. We don't pick, you know, how we feel about certain situations. We need to pick what the Bible says and stick to that. So is there a verse that forbids what you are doing? If there is and you're doing it, I guarantee you 100% you are not being led by the Spirit. Is there a verse that supports what you're doing? And we can take this out of context, and you could be baptized for the dead just because Paul said there are some who are being baptized for the dead. Uh, you know, we can run with this and take this out of context too. So just chase it out in its context because this is important. Is there a verse that honestly says, this is right, this is true, this is just, seek this, do this? If you are doing that, you are making every effort within your physical frame. Leaning in on the power of the Holy Spirit to do that, that's being led by the Spirit. All right, so... Uh, what upholstery I'm going to pick for my next set of furniture. I'm just saying probably Spirit's not going to be too involved in that. Maybe. I don't know. It depends on where it came from, what the process was, if you want to dig that deep into that. But the Spirit wants us to get rid of the sin in our lives, and he's going to lead us to do that. So as long as we are using these principles, does God's word forbid it or support it? That is going to be vital in our Christian walk. It says there is an internal revealing all right, so this is an internal thing that's happening. Not only an internal revealing, but there's also an internal confirmation. This is important for us as believers. Look what it says in Romans eight fourteen through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, cry Abba, Father. The Spirit himself, get this everyone, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is an internal revelation. This is not something that just happens on a page. This is not something that happens in a group or in a community. This is something internal and personal. The Spirit of God dwelling in every, every believer reveals to us that we are the sons of God and confirms this to be so. It's an internal confirmation of the Spirit bearing witness of our sonship. So you can honestly say, I am a son because God has revealed that to me. And you can chase that out and say, I am being led by the Spirit of God every single day in my decisions. So you can say, well, every single decision I make is biblical. And we all know that's untrue, right? So you can say, well, I make as many biblical decisions as I possibly can, and some of them I mess up on, and then the Spirit pricks my conscience, and i got to repent. That right there is a biblical life, friends. That's it. We mess up, turn, repent, 
Christ said, if any man says he's without sin, he's a liar. It's just what we do with the sin in our lives that's important. Look at this. This, this, is, this is so vitally important. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are adopted and treated as Christ by the Father. Now what we've seen and what we know is there are certain people that cannot love a child that did not come from them enough to treat them like they're their own child. And there are adoptive parents that you would swear these kids were born to them that very day because that's how they treat them. Sometimes we view God as this weird adoptive father that doesn't really care about us. Like he doesn't really think about you personally. You know, you just kind of, were kind of included into the package that Christ purchased. So, you know, you have all these kids, and I love these kids, and then these kids are my animals. These are, these are the crazy ones. These are the ones that never do the right thing. They're just kind of part of the package. I'll make sure I feed them. I'll make sure I take care of them. But, you know, I, I feel differently about these kids than I do these kids. That's not so. Amen? It's not so. God loves you as much as he loves Christ. Don't leave here today without recognizing and remembering this. God loves you as much with the same love that he loves Jesus Christ. God not only takes us as his children by adoption, but he treats us as though we are his children without adoption. A pastor that I love, he's probably my favorite pastor, his name's Vadi Bakum, and uh, he's in Zambia, actually. He's a missionary there. This man, when he preaches, man, this is hard-hitting, and he is so honest, and he has a few adopted children, and there are people that have conversations with him and say, well, which ones are the adopted ones? He said, well, I don't, I don't view them that way anymore, you know? Adoption ends at the point when they enter my home. Now they're my kids, you know? And people really can't get their heads wrapped around how he could possibly treat these kids that were not born to him the same as those who were born to him. And even his kids look on, these are the brothers and sisters. There's not some sort of weird division here because a piece of paper brought them, brought them to them. That, that, that's not it at all. These are his kids. This is how God treats us. This is how God looks at us. God not only takes us as his children by adoption, but he treats us as his children. And that is so beautiful. Which means... We are heirs, and we will be glorified with Christ. It also means we suffer. This is the part of the Christian life that we kind of look over or gloss over, and people want to say, well, you know, the Christian life is just so miraculous, and it is. And the Christian life is so wonderful, and it is. And the Christian life is full of joys beyond measure, and it is. And we all skip the fact that there's a lot of suffering. Because we still live in a fallen world, and now that you're a Christian, you are even more awakened to the fact that this is where you are. That people rob banks and say God told them to do it. That people steal and crash cars. That people are doing drugs. This is the world that we live in. It's the world we live in. And we will suffer. But it doesn't end at suffering. It ends in glory. 
And that's what we're told in this passage, that as heirs, we will suffer, but we will also be glorified with Christ. And the amazing thing about this is, we always look at life as if it ends with us. Like, we're the point. Like, we human beings are the point of all this. God's not going to end there. All creation is waiting, waiting for the great revealing All creation has suffered. Look what the verses say. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amazing things are ahead of the believer. Amen? Amazing things are ahead of the believer. Amen? For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. When Adam chose to eat that fruit, it wasn't just he and Eve that was affected, and it wasn't just you and I. So when the animals get off the ark, all of a sudden, the fear of man is on them. Why? Because when the animals get off the ark, creation is changed. And God says, now you're going to eat animals. So a relationship that we did have with a lion where we hung out with the lion in the garden, that no longer exists. Try it and let me know how it works out for you. It will not work out well. Can I get an amen? It will not. All of creation is longing for full restoration to its original state. All of creation is, which is why it's so important where we live today. You know, mowing the lawn seems a mundane and, you know, silly task, and I don't really enjoy it. But it's an eternal work because... What we see in front of us today will be remade. So you go outside and you look and you see the hills and you say, yes, this is a product of the fall. When the flood came, it shifted and moved stuff around. But what beauty God gave us in it. And we can look at these things with an eternal eye and say, yes, these things have been affected by the fall, but God's going to restore that to you. Can you imagine what the mountains will look like when heaven comes to earth, when earth is remade, when earth casts off mortality and puts on immortality? It's going to be wonderful. We cannot even begin to imagine. Eye has not seen nor ear heard what Father is preparing for us. All creation was affected by the fall. Death, disease, and sickness are part of the curse upon creation. Not just upon you and I, upon all creation. Understand that although it is different, when a lioness loses a cub, she is affected by that in some way. When a dog loses a puppy, that dog is affected by that in some way. These things are not the way life was supposed to be. We brought this, not only on ourselves, but also on all of creation. Death, disease, and sickness are part of the curse. And the scripture tells us that creation longs for restoration according to the gospel. So yes, somewhere in all of creation, when you look, all of creation is groaning for the revelation of the sons of God, for this complete and total renewal. What does that mean? What does it mean for us this morning, here, 2020, sitting in a very warm building in the beginning of August? What does it mean for us? Well, this passage means we too have a future hope, right? We are awaiting the full redemption of all things. 
And again, I say this all the time because it's important for us to remember. We all look as if, like, I'm waiting for a few years from now, you know, or a few moments from now when I'll be in my glorified body. And, and yes, that's important, but God's given us an eternal work to do now. And the hope is in the now. We are awaiting the full redemption of all things. When all weakness of our body, when our knees will be made whole, when we can run and jump and, like Jesus, walk through locked doors, won't that be awesome? Some of us forget our keys all the time. Won't that be awesome? Walk through a locked door. Jesus in his glorified body still eats. The people that are looking at heaven, they're like, well, I wonder if there'll be food there. Jesus ate in his glorified body. Pretty sure it's going to be like the best food you could ever imagine. Just think about that for a moment. We're waiting the full redemption of all things. Look what this verse says. For in this hope we were saved. Now the hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. With patience. We all hope with eager expectation for the full redemption of all things. This is so vitally important. In front of us today, as Christians in 2020, we have some crazy stuff. All right, we have rioting. That may not be happening in our streets, but it's happening in someone's streets. There are grandmas and grandpas, uncles, aunts out there that are getting hurt because of this. This is crazy. These are things that if, if we had this conversation back around Thanksgiving 2019, we'd have said, no, that'll, that'll never happen, right? Sitting around the Thanksgiving table said, boy, I wonder if in a few months there's going to be a plague that shuts down the entire nation, the entire world, 170 of 180 nations affected by it. We all would have said, nah. Never happen. Not going to happen. Yet here we are, in the strangest and weirdest time of any of our lives. Amen? I mean, this is weird. Whoever thought that churches would be closed down, or that to return to church, you'd have to wear a mask to walk through the door, or that there are governors that want us to zip each other in the head with a thermometer before we, before we can enter the building. That's the world that we live in today. And I tell you this, this is easy for us to toss around words and say, it's so easy. When we look at the world that is happening and going on around us that we are a part of, we can be very, very fearful. And we do need to be discerning and we do need to be on our toes and we do need to be mindful about how to act and how to behave in light of the circumstances that are here. We need to judge all things according to the Bible and not according to our feelings or anyone else's. And at the same time, we all need to realize when we look around, guess what? All of this is going to be remade. There will be a day when there will be no more riots. There will be a day when there will be no more murder, when there will be no more theft. That's coming. God is going to remake all things. All creation is groaning for this. And you and I, through the scriptures, have what the rest of creation doesn't. Not only do we have a hope, we have the promise. This stuff is going to pass away and be remade. Christ is going to be king forever and ever and ever. And in that day, all things will be made new.